Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your host. Today with me, I have a very special guest. His name is Fred Schott. How are you doing, Fred? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Super excited to talk uh, Astro and View and everything. There we go. For those of you who have been regular listeners of Views on View, you've heard me talk multiple times about Astro which is a static site generator on how I'm using it and how it works with the whole Isles methodology and Islands methodology, shall we say. And so I decided let's get the guy on who knows Astro just a little bit. So Fred is here to talk to us all about Astro and how awesome it is and how it works and so on. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So before we get started, Fred, why don't you just give us a little background, who you are, why you're famous, what you do, where you do it, etc. <laughs> I don't know if I'm famous. I'm famous to a very small group of people, I guess you could say. Uh, yeah, no, I've been doing web development for over a decade now, open source for almost a decade. I've been lucky enough to work on some great teams at Google, on Chrome, Polymer, and a couple product teams uh, along the way. But my definitely my interest has always been open source and specifically tooling for web developers. So Astro is very much a tool for web developers, a love letter to web development. And there's some really exciting things that we, I'm sure we'll get into about how the architecture works, how it's very different from all of the other site builders today. We just recently launched our V1.0 with support for Vue and also no longer just a static site builder. It now supports full SSR. So there's some really cool things that that's unlocked that you can do with Astro now coming into the uh, post V1 era that I'm excited to. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about all of it. Yes, we will. So first of all, I'll give you my description of Astro, at least if I've understood it, and then you can correct me if I'm wrong and we can go from there. So Astro is a, well, it was initially built apparently as a static site generator, right? So the idea is that you can build a static site, put all your, you make all your API calls, you know, put in your markup, theme it, design it however you want to, and then you build it and you've got your static HTML and accessory files, CSS, JavaScript, that you can send to wherever, an S3 bucket, I would assume, or an Netlify or, or wherever. But one of the, I think the bigger goals, if I've heard you say correctly, is that you're trying to get away from too much JavaScript because JavaScript has to be downloaded to the browser and, and it hinders performance because your browser is downloading and trying to run all that JavaScript. So you're trying to do the minimal amount of JavaScript while getting all of your site deployed. Is that accurate? Yeah, we really see JavaScript and, and you could kind of lump all the SBAs into that. Mm -hmm. um, the overuse of JavaScript on the client side as this problem to be solved. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't make sense for every use case. If you're building a super dynamic dashboard and there's data flying around, like if you're building the next Facebook, Astro is not really designed for you in mind. But if you're designing a marketing site, a, a content site, a publishing site, even all the way up to e-commerce, that user or that site is much more concerned with performance. SEO, there's plenty of data that shows how bounce rates, SEO, and everything are all impacted by performance really directly, like hundreds of milliseconds equals full percents of conversions and, and ultimately sales and money for e-commerce sites. So we get to have this really interesting take on performance, which is optimized for that user instead of building a big application, we're helping you build a content site. Now, you mentioned it, this stat regarding how milliseconds delays can have a direct relationship to lost business. Um, I, there's Amazon supposedly did studies about a second can cost them so many million or billion dollars in terms of performance. And I've always wondered, is that just because people are impatient and they figure out oh, the site doesn't load in less than one second, I'm going to go somewhere else? Or how does that how does that work? I've always wondered that. So there's a, there's a lot behind that question. I mean, the, the biggest 
kind of thing you can't ignore is like Amazon's not using React, like not because they don't like React, because it just doesn't at the level that they're talking, like probably not even 100 milliseconds, like single milliseconds are probably contributing millions of dollars hmm. to their bottom line. That is a totally made up stat, but I, I, I can't imagine at their scale, there isn't some truth to that. The way that that ends up, so it's it, it comes a couple of ways. One is, you know, we build sites on our big, beefy developer laptops, on our wired Ethernet, on our dev machines, and everything about our local host environment is really like set up to not let us see the actual user performance. So we build these JavaScript applications and don't realize that that's, that's being shipped down to mobile phones um, across low-powered connections. So hundreds of milliseconds is kind of this way to like, it's the smallest unit of measurement that we can track real data to. But for a lot of sites, we're even talking about like tens of seconds on low power devices to become interactive. So if you're an e-commerce site, I mean, I definitely know that feeling of like, I'm on a lower powered, like maybe I'm going through a tunnel or for some reason I'm outside of the city. My internet's not as good on my phone. Like the 10 second, just the drag of loading that site. I, I bounce off all the time when that happens. I'll say, oh, I'll do that when I get home and, and maybe I will, maybe I won't. So it's really like, it's an experience that you really have to feel and you, you kind of do feel it when you're off of your low, you know, high end developer machine. But then most recently, Google has really started to get into this fight as well. Like they really have started only in the last year ranking your SEO based on these core web vitals, the, you know, your lighthouse score. They're, they're putting their hand on the scale to say, not only are we going to, you know, for your own sake, you should be doing this, but we're actually going to rank all other things being equal. The fastest site's going to win this SEO ranking. So there's, there's real kind of business implications, even outside of performance and, and money being left on the table. Yeah. Recently we had, uh, Annie Sullivan from Google on JavaScript Jabber, Jabber discussing that exact topic. And I brought that yeah. question up regarding core web vitals and how much, how much that impacts their rankings. And her response, uh, was basically, I believe that that's just a part of the overall, what shall we say, list of things that they used in their ranking. So it's not everything isn't performance, but it is, you know, as as they have made clear, and as you just mentioned, that's a very big part is performance has to do with how you come up in the rankings. So yeah, I've seen, uh, I think the window is kind of 5% of like people who have been tracking this, like it kind of opens up this window of 5% either direction where you can kind of raise or lower. Again, you know, Google keeps these metrics pretty close to the chest, but mm-hmm. People are seeing that it's, you know, if you're, especially if you're competitive keywords, you know, 5% is a, a pretty significant uh, bump and boost over some competitor who just isn't looking at performance or maybe their tech stack, their architecture isn't set up well for it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay, so let's get into Astro itself. I'm always curious to hear what the origin story is. What made you think you could be different versus all of the other static site generators out there? <laughs> you know, my uh, there's always the classic uh, XKCD cartoon that I love so much that talks about standards, right? And there's 14, but this one's going to be different. Great, now we have 15, <laughs> right. right? This one's going to unify it all. <laughs> yeah, right. I just responded to somebody on Twitter with that the other day. It was pretty funny. So, you know, the first static site generator that I can recall being aware of, I think, was Hugo or Jekyll. Jekyll, when GitHub pages, you know, first started using that and allowing that. And so obviously there's oh, been yeah. quite a plethora of static site generators come along, you know, whether it's the Nuxt and Next from Vue and React to there's some static site generator pages you can go and list and it's unreal, <laughs> the number that are out there. Yep. Um, you know, and as, you know, we've talked about before on here, the pendulum swung from the LAMP stack to going the other way to glue everything together, you know, all the JavaScript SPAs. Now we're swinging back to sort of where we were, but without the LAMP stack, you know, I can remember when I first started doing my very first website, this was in the late 90s. That'll date me a little bit. When broadband internet first came out, you know, you first had dial-ups and AOL and and all that. And then when broadband first came out, mine was on AT&T broadband at home where I happen to live. And I can still remember getting HTML goodies, the book, (laughs) and learning how to do HTML and building my own little HTML website on the space that the ISP gave us for hosting and and just building it in there and manually resizing some images of my daughter and other things and, you know, putting it all up there. And that was a static site, (laughs) you know, you uploaded. And then for years after that, before I got into Drupal in like around 2006, many sites where it was an FTP connection, you got your PHP or or HTML files, you know, and you uploaded them directly to a server. And so it's like we're going, the circles come around, except it's a lot (laughs) easier to get there now, right? 
It was my favorite comment from our Hacker News launch on V1. Like we were on the front page, got all these comments, and you know, Hacker News, not the easiest bunch of people to impress. But there was plenty of comments where it's like, wow, it really feels like we're going full circle. Like this is like some return to an older way of doing things that was really nice. And, and oh, it's just like so good. Like, and like they thought they were making this point that was like a dig at us. And it's like, no, that's like, that's totally what we're trying to do here. Like it was actually really cool to see. Even in being snarky, people were like totally repeating our thoughts back to us as like, exactly why we thought that this project should exist in the first place. It is very much a return to bring some of the things back that we've lost over the last decade, I'd say, and do it in a way where you don't lose this great developer experience that, you know, Next.js deserves a ton of credit for really moving from a best in class to almost the status quo of having great dev server, great, you know, kind of uh, JavaScript experience. But that's definitely been the expense of, you know, I have a, I have a similar story of how I learned. Like I learned on PHP, I learned on just playing around with HTML and CSS and script tags and style tags and, you know, built up my skill set over time. But I can't imagine learning web development today coming from zero to, okay, here's JSX, here's React, and it's Server React that's also going to run the client and hooks. And it's all stuff that is super powerful, but, oh my God, to, to a lot of developers, whether you're just learning out, learning and getting started, or maybe your use case just doesn't need to be the next Facebook, that's where Astro really is, has been designed to slot in. So that's kind of a roundabout origin story of like everything you just said, I completely relate to. It's how I learned as well. And that story has been weirdly lost over the last decade. And I don't think that was intentional. I don't think we lost ease of getting started, playing around and hacking together fun stuff because it was bad or wrong. I think the developer experience got so much better, but it was kind of in this direction that I don't think we fully grappled with the, you know, where that took us. It took us into a world of complexity, which pays off if you know what you're doing. Um, if you're building a super complex app, but for a lot of other users, I think it's been at the expense of something that I miss in web development, which is just the creative kind of feedback loop and that that output that you can do when you're just playing around. I can remember a few years ago, there was a pretty famous post, I think it was on Medium, and I remember seeing it on Hacker News. And the 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 idea of the post was to illustrate how difficult it become to set up just a simple website now. And the way it was written was sort of a conversation between a new guy and a, uh, a more experienced developer. He's like, hey, I just want to, you know, I want to spin up a website that pulls from a database and displays this data on the page. Well, you need to do this and you need a build process <laughs> and you need to do this. And, and yeah. you know, then yeah, you that's need, a, you know, compiler, you need Babel and all this stuff. And the whole, it made the point pretty well. And there was some pushback on that where people said, well, yeah, but build processes are good. We need them for this and this and that. And I wish I could find that post because it was awesome. Another really, really influential post for us as the creators of this was Chris Coyer's The Great Divide piece. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, which is an incredible piece that really, I think, hits home this idea that web development has gotten complex to the point where we're literally fracturing our industry. It's almost like there's two different types of front-end developers, a uh, design-oriented CSS, HTML, semantic, like everything about the thing that gets kind of presented to the browser and then the JavaScript expert, like the person who understands how state is managed, how routing works, how client-side versus server-side versus SSR versus SSG. There's a whole skill set that's just being a JavaScript expert these days. And that is, again, very powerful for some sites. But it, what I love about that post is it speaks to what we've lost along the way. I don't think that was ever intentional. I think some could argue that it was inevitable that as our industry grows, as the web gets more advanced, you might have to split. But I don't think it's a necessary thing. I think what Astro shows is there's a way to have your cake and eat it too here for a certain type of user, a certain type of site. You can have something that feels really raw and fun to use and fun to learn, while at the same time being the great developer experience that we've come to get used to with Next.js and others. Yeah, I first got into, you know, when I first started learning PHP MySQL, it was just straight PHP MySQL, CSS, no CMS, no nothing. And I was probably one of the few developers that didn't try to write my own CMS, but I, can, <laughs> you know, but I got into the Drupal world and was there for a while. And I can remember when I first started playing with, with Drupal itself, the end of 4.7.6 was last 4X version and then into Drupal 5. It was really pretty easy to spin up a Drupal site. You know, it took a little work. You have your MySQL installed, install everything, do a little config, and you were up and running with just a little local site. And that was how I started playing with it. I made my first blog using that. But now you look at where that's gone, Drupal 8, you know, now Drupal 9, and they're working on Drupal 10. And it's, you can't just spin it up real easily for a local site anymore. You know, it's, no. it seems to be more enterprise focused. You've got Composer and Guzzle and Symphony and all kinds of tools. And I'm sure they'll, some people that will push back on that. But like a lot of things, it just sort of grew. And, and now you've got this big gap, you know, back at the basics. You know, this is, I just want to spin up a little local brochure site, you know, help me with that. Yeah. So, 
So the, the funny meme of our community these days is that Astro is just like a secret sneaky way to teach the new breed of Jamstack JavaScript developers PHP. Like you can really with a couple of tweaks, like maybe change five characters and Astro syntax for how we do component, how we do HTML templating starts to look a lot like PHP where you have your server logic up at the top of the file and your actual templating logic at the bottom. Oh, um, right. Yeah, and it's sure. a really interesting architecture because we don't have to worry about client-side reactivity hooks, state, like all of the things that React and, and Vue as well were all designed for was the complexity of the front end. And I think that's been the biggest thing about using Vue all the way down your stack the way a Nux does. It comes at the cost of, well, now your, your language that you're using to express your site, you're always having to juggle the complexity of client state, client interactivity. Astro is this way to still get Vue when you need something interactive, when you need to take on that complexity. But at the end of the day, our kind of pitch is you can write Vue if you want, but you can also write our really, really low level, just kind of bare bones HTML templating language with server code up here, your template down there. It all runs on the server, 100% on the server. You're generating your HTML. And then this island architecture comes in where you're actually just injecting islands of Vue, of Vue islands of you know interactivity on your page versus the next model of everything's javascript your whole page is a javascript app that's really in a nutshell what islands architecture is and and that's what it unlocks is this idea of not having to pay the complexity cost all the way down your stack that that a next or an xjs kind of uh, forces you to take on okay so now i mentioned earlier that before astro came along there's been any number of static site site generators, if you want to go back to Jekyll and so on. So I'm curious to see what it was that you saw was missing that you thought Astro could fill in that wasn't out there in other static site generators. Yeah, I mean, I really like we started as a static site generator uh, because it was the kind of biggest missing piece and the kind of easiest way to get started. You know, building an SSR server architecture is much more complicated than just outputting some HTML and CSS. So we started there, but really we now see it as much more just like a, a web framework like Nox or a, a full site builder, not just a static site builder. But what's interesting is our default is static. So I'd say that's the biggest difference where Next and Nuxt have this like export kind of secondary flow. We see the static site as the best default. Like it's really simple. You deploy it anywhere. Everyone has a guide for how to deploy a static site. If you need the server rendering, then you can kind of opt into that complexity. The thing that I'd say it most brings is, um, and we can even go back to like the origin story of Astro itself. A couple of us were working on this other project, uh, Snowpack, which in the early days was very much head to head with Vite and, and Vite really kind of won out. But back when we were working on it, it was this new dev bundler, ESM, like all the cool stuff of Vite was like what we were excited about with uh, Snowpack. And what we were building was the doc site and we used 11D for it. So classic static site builder, we might have even used Hugo at a time. So like that, we were playing around with static site building. What we loved about them was, oh, well, like just the way that this sets up my site is all HTML first. It still gives me the tools to reach into the JavaScript toolkit to bring, I think we used React or no, we probably used Preact because it was just, we need a lightweight uh, catalog. We had a catalog of plugins. So one page was Preact. The rest of it was all HTML generated, super static. And Alex Russell, if, if anyone here listening knows, like performance grandpa, I would call him of Twitter, just always just like, you know, shouting it. These sites are too slow. These sites are too slow. He just kind of constantly making that message. He even reached out like via DM was just like, hey, what did you do to make that? Like, how did you do this? This is really cool. And like totally unprompted, which from him is, is high praise. And the weird takeaway was we didn't do anything. We just used a tool that made JavaScript an opt-in versus a default. And so Astro, I'd say, is very much trying to make what we did with that site the default, which is that client-side JavaScript is an opt-in. You can really easily bring Vue in, but by default, we're, you know, if you don't ask for JavaScript and Vue on the client, we're just going to give you HTML. We're going to take your Vue components and render them to HTML fully server side and not force that cost until you're ready. And then we give really nice APIs to bring those Vue components into the front end with islands. Okay. So what's the, what was, when did you start working on Astro? I guess, what would you sort of consider its, its start date? I think, uh, I mean, it, it, it kind of came very organically out of that project. Um, I'd say January of last year. It's been a while now. I think we said 16 months from like first commit to the repo to our V1 launch. That was the time frame we, we kind of catalog, cataloged in history. But it's been a while. We've definitely been thinking and researching on this for, for quite some time. So I'm curious, have you ever seen a view project called ILES? I-L-E-S? Yes. So we so, have Maximo so we Messini. We had him on November of last year to talk about 
Isles and their whole approach too of just having little islands of JavaScript functionality in the midst of HTML. And so I've always curious to see if that was an inspiration for you at all, or if you were even aware of them, or if they're your main competitor, or, <laughs> or how you. Um, I believe it's that. the other way. Um, I think the thing that we're most proud of is the client directive. So this primitive to I'm building my HTML first site. But then I want to add a interactive component on the page. The way that you do that is with this client colon, and then you kind of get to decide, like load immediately or load on idle. So you kind of have a little bit more of a performance, uh, or I should say less of a performance impact. There's this really cool one, client colon visible, which is basically like, if the user never sees this component, it's never even going to load. Mm-hmm. It's only when you scroll into view that it's going to actually trigger that. That client colon directive is something that I think has probably been our biggest impact outside of Astro, where Isles borrowed that from us. Capri, I believe it's called, is another one. Sounds even familiar. Island, which is an 11D project, uses something very similar. I, w- I wouldn't say it's the direct one-to-one, but it's it's a very similar directive idea. Mm-hmm. Um, Quick, which is this new framework, is doing yes. something similar to get like islands of React within their framework, which is wild. Mm-hmm. That's Mishko um, Heavy. We, we just talked to him last week. Oh, nice. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a really cool project. Uh, very similar in its kind of focus of like less JS by default. So I think there's this whole movement that's kind of sprung up that we were very much in the early days. I think we definitely had an impact on all of these frameworks as they kind of set this up, which is there's a really cool primitive here, which is controlling the loading of the component when you use it. I think Misko would even say like there's this idea of just like all you're doing at the end of the day as a web developer is like attaching client-side JavaScript to some element on the page. And the way that React and, and Vue when you're doing the full SPA, the full Nuxt and Next.js is whole element, whole page, mm-hmm. whole JavaScript app. Yep, It's all one big thing. And what Quick and Astro and, and Isles are all exploring is what if you broke that down much more granularly mm-hmm. and you're just thinking this component and Quick goes even further. They say you're just thinking this like event handler, like on click, that's one granular chunk. So they they go way deeper than we even than we even do with the with Vue.js, because we think in components, we bundle by components, where our whole model is very much granular components. And so that's, I think, been our biggest impact on at least the last year. As we've developed this, we've seen plenty of projects borrow, build on. You could call Isles a competitor, but I would not consider them that. I think we're all exploring the same space here. And Isles being Vue first, while we are taking a much more support every framework kind of, you know, Drupal, WordPress, like we don't want to pick one, we want to support all of them. That's that's been our differentiator between Isles. So you mentioned Drupal and WordPress. How do you work? How does that work? I don't understand. Are you oh, saying that sorry. you just have a base I, Astro and then you could import a Drupal component in the Drupal twig? Sorry, template? sorry. I, I meant them as we love that big tent story that they tell where like Drupal isn't saying like Vue is our framework. All other frameworks use something else. Oh, gotcha. You know, okay. So we're running HTML and then they let you kind of bring your framework. That's the model that we really like about those older Right. Um, technologies that we're trying to bring into Astro. We don't take a stance. We support every framework, React, Preact, Vue, Svelte. And because we're at this granular component level, we take on the routing. We take on the infrastructure of your framework. But you still get to choose your favorite for the front end. So it's that model we really like. Right. So, oh gosh, I just brain farted on where I was going to go. Oh, yes. So as a developer, you know, one of the things that made Astro easy to work with for me is, as you mentioned, the whole component structure, right? Where you have components and pages and layouts and you can make, you know, a component that has just a nav bar or just a header or just a body or something like that and import and pass props to them, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that, that's one thing that made it very easy, at least familiar for somebody coming from other frameworks that have that component structure. So that certainly does make it easy to use. Anything about that that I missed? You yeah, we. About? I mean, we started out talking about the new user experience learning development, but even just learning Astro, if you're coming from something else, that is not an accident. We really tried to have one hook for every type of user coming to Astro for the first time. So if you're a Vue user, you're going to feel really familiar with the single file component structure, the idea of your script and your template, and your style, all living in a single file. But we lean into JSX a bit more. And it's not truly JSX because we are real HTML, like use an image tag, you don't have to close it the way that JSX is going to force you. Um, So we are truly HTML compliant and kind of built on top of HTML. But we do that by sprinkling. And it feels a little bit more like JSX. So if you're coming from React or Preact, that should feel really familiar versus, you know, Vue and Svelte take a more kind of templated syntax approach. All that's to say is that learning experience coming from Vue, you should feel really at home with Astro's component syntax. And then again, the really fun thing is if you just want to use Vue 100% down your stack, you still can. We'll do the HTML um, rendering for you automatically. Right. So now the way an Astro site is built, speaking of, of the components, is your base file is a .astro file, right? So that's what you use. So I assume you have some sort of, gosh, what's the term I'm looking for? Something behind the scenes that interprets those, breaks them apart. Yeah, we 
We built the compiler, compiler. Uh, powered by Go, actually, which is pretty interesting. We, as everyone's doing Rust, we're like, no, nah, Go is what we want to use. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it gets compiled to WASM, and it's it's really fast. So Yeah, those seem to be the real heavy hitters compile. from that server side, Go and Rust, at least the ones that yeah. I hear about the most. Well, especially with Hugo, I mean, just like there's so much inspiration there and in how they do site building. That, yeah, Go goes alive and well as far as our compiler is concerned. So let's talk about WASM for a minute. That's WebAssembly, I'm assuming. So how does that, let's talk about, I guess, what it is, this high level, and then how you're using it in Astro. Yeah, I mean, this is, you, you stop me if this feels like a tangent, but I could go for hours about this because- I'll pull you back if you days. get too far down the rabbit <laughs> yeah, trail. Please so. do. So WASM was created. No, I actually don't know. I am not the person to come on <laughs> to tell you about WASM, but- I will say it's been really interesting seeing the web ecosystem start to adapt WASM in a lot of different ways. And I, there seem to be these two camps. One, which is rebuild everything in WASM. So that would be like the Rome approach or even ES build could sort of fall in that, which is like our whole tool chain, our whole tool chain should be a compiled language like Rust or Go and web developers will love it because it's fast. And, and truly it is incredibly fast compared to you know, Webpack or some of these uh, JavaScript based tooling, but just the performance profile is completely different. At the same time, if you look at ES build and I don't know if Rome could fall into this, but like ESPL, I think is we'll use that as an example. That is a project with one contributor. There may be a couple of people making small changes, but like by using Go, your user is no longer really able to make contributions back in the same way of like a Webpack or a Babel, where those are open source projects with hundreds of contributors, uh, maybe thousands at their scale. Because a lot of, a good reason of that, I believe, is that it is a JavaScript tool. Their users are writing JavaScript and they need to make a change. They have everything they need to go and actually make that PR, file the issue. They feel familiar with the tool itself. That is a huge superpower that we get to benefit by being a JavaScript-based tool. But our take on this is that the future is these core pieces of infrastructure for a tool like Astro are individually being built in WASM. So our compiler being this thing that like, it's a pretty complicated piece of software. We don't really expect a lot of changes to that from the community. We don't mind the cost of reduced kind of contributors, but the efficiency that comes with it. At the same time, 90% of Astro is this runtime, this this thing we built around the compiler. And that's where most of the bugs happen. It's where we're adding features. It's where we, you know, the compiler is stable. The runtime is where we're developing Astro and really building Astro. So we end up kind of getting, again, best of both worlds here. There's a phrase we like to use and we like to leverage when we can. The idea that Astro is itself JavaScript-based, while the heaviest lift, which is the compiler, ends up being WASM-based, is actually we get the performance of WASM and, and Go being compiled to it for the heavy lifting. But then JavaScript is still really good at juggling a lot of things, especially I.O., and that's where we can just shoot a lot of work into this compiler and get it when it comes back. And we're actually not really paying a performance cost. There's, there's even a performance benefit to using Node.js or, you know, Deno one day maybe for using JavaScript for the, basically you could call it the orchestration of everything. So we see this hybrid WASM, hybrid JS approach to tooling being really the best of both worlds. You don't lose your user base. You don't lose their ability to contribute. At the same time, you get like 95% of the performance benefits of using WASM for the heavy lifting where it matters. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. A good combination of the lower level stuff that you probably won't get many contributions from unless some really hardcore people, right? And then open up the higher level stuff for... Yeah. That, that being you... said, it's early days for all this. Rome could just completely knock it out of the park. They're going full rust, whole tool chain. Super curious to see what happens there. But for us, this is perfect for us. We're mostly JavaScript developers, but we have a, <laughs> someone on the team has learned Go and now has built a, a pretty impressive compiler. Nice. So let's talk about component structure for a little bit. It's basically using... I guess you call it a front matter type of approach. I think that's correct, where you have your three dashes at the beginning and the end of your code section where you can run all your JavaScript and do whatever you need to do, create variables. Yeah. And then below think that. of it like your view script component or, again, PHP. It's your it's your PHP tag. It's a server code of the component. Right. Yeah, what we put in script. And then below that is what in a view template would be the template tags, yep. right? So whatever you're going to uh, render, use for rendering your HTML. Yep. That's right. And the big difference from like a Nuxt or probably a lot of what view developers might be familiar with is that that script, the front matter script, it only ever runs on the server. So the benefit of that is you can literally put like a database call, you can put a fetch call, you can do a top level away. The whole language is designed for real ease of use around because we're on the server, let's take advantage of it. Make whatever logic you need, whatever you need to make your site, make direct database calls. You don't need to wrap everything in an indirect layer of, of loaders and, and API calls. It's all going to be server rendered. It's all going to run on the server. So you have a little bit of a guarantee there, which then also lets us make a language, which, you know, top level await, top level fetch is real nice. Right. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and 
in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're a beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Now, what's interesting about the template portion is that's as compared to Vue, that's a little more lower level JavaScript. You know, in Vue, right, you'll have your different directives, v4, vif, vbind, beyond, you know, that's sort of the syntactical sugar that Vue gives you that allows you to do things much easier than having to write a map or a filter or some of the other functions. But in an Astro component, you can just write plain JavaScript. You know, I'm looking at one of the components that I have or a pattern that I have in this one particular site I'm working on. And I just have my open curly braces and I have my variable, you know, that was an array coming from the script portion. And then I just map over it. And then within my map, I return my child component you know, and pass props to it. So very similar to how I do it in Vue with, with, with some differences. So yep. just about any JavaScript can be used within the template portion of an Astro component. Is that correct? Yeah, we, we think of it as uh, JSX-like, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, the way we'd really describe it is it's HTML with like JavaScript sprinkled in or JSX sprinkled in. So again, we're a little bit lazier and a little bit more lax than JSX, which has really strict rules about when you can close and open. There's just HTML is not really one-to-one compliant with JSX. I'd say that's one of, one of the biggest things we were trying to address with our language. If you copy and paste HTML and put it in a JSX file, good chance it's just going to break. You're going to get the red squiggly. You're going to have to go and edit it. If anyone's played around with JSX, they've probably run into that eventually. Our language is HTML first, and then it's sprinkling in the logic to yeah, map over an array, iterate over different things. We don't have a lot of directives for templating logic. We really just... As soon as you need something advanced, fall into JavaScript. You can always come back out into templating the same way that you mix and match with JSX. So another option that you have in addition to HTML is Markdown and MDX, right? So I guess you would want to use that for more of your text-heavy type content that you would want to put, like a, a blog, <laughs> documentation, yep. so on. I know, for instance, I did a blog site in Nux 2, so this is a couple years ago, where I used Markdown files, you know, just had those and then imported in and read through those and spit it out. Static generation, yeah. faster. Markdown's great. So, yeah, that's uh, another option instead of just using uh, HTML for sure. Yeah, and you really see our kind of like content-focused, you know, this type of site, like Markdown coming from a static site builder originally and working our way up the kind of complexity stack. Markdown is like a no-brainer when you're building with Hugo or Eleventy. It's one of the big, biggest features that they're known for. So for us, it was also likewise a no-brainer. If you're building a content site, you need a really easy way to author content. So that's where Markdown and and later MDX came in for us. Right. Now moving on, routing. So this is very similar if you're familiar with Nuxt and the pages directory. It's almost identical here because you have a source pages directory. And then as you create your your files, those generate your your routes for you. So it reminds me of my first PHP days where I would have, you know, something.php and that was my route. And then another <laughs> .php for that, yep, you know, yep. before... Apache and and your uh, dynamic routing capabilities, you know that that you could use. So so yeah, that's about as pain free as as you can come. There's as the documents say here in the tip, there is no separate routing fig to maintain in an Astro project. It's it's funny we think of file based routing as this like modern next JS Nuxt kind of, but yeah, that, that goes back all the way to the early days of just throwing PHP files on a on a server hosted somewhere and seeing what happens. Yeah, exactly. But then at the same time, you can do your dynamic routing similar to Nuxt again, where you know if you have a you know an ID value for a blog post, for instance, like that, you pass that in as one of your URLs, and then it becomes available within within your yeah. uh, your components. And I find this part of it fascinating because I think it's just the part of things that I think about a lot. Hopefully everyone listening doesn't get bored out of their mind by this. But like the philosophy of what we've built is like, if you take a look at the ecosystem, really zoom out, you've got Nuxt, you've got Nuxt, you've got SvelteKit, you've got, oh God, what else in this kind of frameworky? Quick. I guess there's a remix. Yeah, right. God, what else? There, everyone is just doing some blitz in the earlier days. Um, like everyone is trying to solve the same problem. Oh, solid start, quick. Yeah. 
everyone is like, at the end of the day, everyone's just building routing. <laughs> it's all just different takes on routing. And there's a really interesting story here about how Astro, by being unopinion, unopinionated about the framework, is trying to be this one like platform that any one of these frameworks could hook into. So there's a way to look at Astro as we're trying to do the routing logic so that you, as a framework author, if you're the, you know, if you're Evan, you of the view, you can just be like, oh, great, this is like routing. Great. Like UI as a component syntax can sit on top of Astro. It doesn't have to be all the way down your stack. You can leverage what we built. And, and this, we really actually saw this very directly early on with SolidJS had kind of come onto the scene right around when we were maybe not V000, but you know, in our couple first six months and to build a new framework, right? Like Solid, you're, there's a ton that you need to do to catch up with where Reactor or Vue is. Like having your Next.js or your Nuxt or your full app development story is an essential part of, of building a framework today. And we got to do that for Solid. They essentially shipped a pretty simple integration to get Solid working on Astro. And all of a sudden they had this really cool story for how anyone could use Solid to build a full site with Astro. Like out of the box, they basically had their Nuxt story with you know a day's worth of work. So Again, this is kind of like more of a philosophical take on what we're building here, but it's something I'm really excited about, which is everyone's duplicating the same work all over the all over the world of, of tech, of, of web development right now. And we have a chance here to actually really standardize, like, here's a routing system that anyone can hook into without having to adopt one framework and only one framework that you're always going to be um, you know, left with. If you ever need to migrate, if you ever need to change or uh, the, you know, the newest version of you comes out and you want to play around with it, you know, that's something that today involves throwing out uh, your entire stack with one of these, you know, to move from React to Solid. That's a huge change. But in Astro, we do have this idea of the frameworks being pluggable. So you could try out Solid in a single component and not really mess with your current React uh, app or an entire page or an entire section of your site. And you can kind of grow and grow as you go. Island uh, architecture was designed, uh, originally coined as a term at Etsy because they were moving their PHP uh, architecture to start bringing in more modern components. And they, they thought about it this way. It's a way to migrate to the new thing, island by island, component by component. So yeah, this this is a, a story that's been told plenty of times before, and we just got to build a framework around these ideas. Now, moving through the docs here, talking to the guides, you have items here on integrations and UI frameworks. What's Is there a difference between those two? Or is the integration basically just importing the view stuff so that, that you can turn around and use view within your within your site? Yeah, it's um, it's most familiar to anyone in the view ecosystem who's used Nuxt modules. These different UI frameworks are essentially added as integrations, as modules in our world. So adding view is as simple as adding the view integration, but it's more flexible. It also lets you add the Tailwind integration for a really quick setup of Tailwind and um, you know, Google Analytics, different CMSs, like everyone has a story there similar to Nux modules. Right. Okay. So it's sort of like in view what the view CLI would do for you. If you say, okay, I want this and this and this, it's going to go set it all up for you. And yeah, exactly. instead of making you do it manually. Okay. So let's talk about the islands themselves. We've talked about HTML and JavaScript and how that works. So again, the idea here is that you can have a whole page with a bunch of content. Maybe you want some, some interactivity in the middle of your page, maybe signing up for a newsletter or I suppose there's any number of, of possible pieces of interactivity that you might want. Uh, what's What are some, I guess, of the more common types of interactivity that you've seen people add using these frameworks inside of an Astro site? I mean, it's it's whatever you're building. So um, again, where we get to kind of say the best type of site to build with Astro is one that's really focused on getting some content to your user as quickly and as simply as possible. So to use a blog or, you know, you just go all the way to a CNN or a WashingtonPost.com, you know, full on publications all the way down to personal dev blogs. The idea is that at the end of the day, you're just trying to get like content in front of the user. They're going to read it. They're going to interact with it. Um, but it's all about the the experience of consuming that content. So for that type of site, it's not user data. There's not state that's really being managed. That's where these islands can really kind of thrive where they already are. Yeah, you brought up the email sign up, right? That's that's an island that's a, an isolated component of interactivity. I'd say the biggest thing about this architecture is one, you're detaching them all. So where next would bring it all into a single JavaScript application that's really hard to piece apart. It's it's why you have to ship the whole thing down to the client to hydrate a second time in the client in the browser. In Astro, it's much more component by component. So we get to basically reduce a lot of the complexity that comes with just shipping everything. It's all isolated. They're all rendering and loading in isolation. There's a complexity story there. The other big benefit is just the parallelization or the kind of isolation that lets you control loading, essentially prioritize different components over others. So, you know, that email um, sign up, if that's the most important thing on your page, you know, usually a team, especially at a, a company will have like a goal, like what is our kind of top line metric that we're driving? If it's signups, like that should be the most important thing on your page. The like image carousel 
10 scrolls down is, is probably not going to do much for you. It's, it's probably much lower priority. And so where a Nuxt is going to have to bundle it all into a single page, it's all going to load at the same time. That heavy image carousel is going to block the interactivity of the email signup. Instead, Astro says, no, let's, we'll prioritize them differently. Like set that email signup to load. You know, the page won't load until that's interactive. It's prioritized to load as, as quickly as possible. That heavy image carousel, we'll, we'll delay that. We'll delay that down to when the browser is idle and has some free time or even to when it is only visible so that the user never sees it. So there's this splitting apart that also just gives you so much more control over what you're building that you get to decide how important is this component to my site that I'm building. You have the kind of context of what you're building to know. If you don't care about it, just put them all as kind of load or maybe put them all as idle. You, you can basically control and have a nice default that you use. But for when you need it, you get to break it apart in that way. And behind the scenes, we're going to do the bundling and the kind of injection logic for you. So one of the options, and this is probably one of the more commonly used examples that you mentioned is e-commerce. I can remember one of the first examples I saw of using a static site for e-commerce was back in, I want to say 2018, and it was Harry's Razors had used Gatsby to do e-commerce. And it was for their women's line of razors, uh, Flamingo, I think was what it was called. And they had a blog post, I think it was on Medium about how we did it and why we did it. And so what they had done, if I remember correctly, was they had basically decided that, you know, when there are changes, you do have to rebuild the entire site, you know, just because that's how the static site works. Yeah. But in in their particular case, it wasn't a particularly huge site, you know, with lots of products, you know, it's not like Amazon or, you know, Walmart or something like that. It, it was fairly low in terms of content size. Obviously, e-commerce is going to require a number of interactive pieces, you know, whether it's a, a login, you know, your shopping cart and that and all of those things. If anybody hasn't done e-commerce, they must be living under a rock, <laughs> I would say. So we're all pretty, probably pretty familiar with it. So can you explain how you would structure an Astro site to do something like that uh, from an e-commerce standpoint? Yeah, I'd say that's definitely the most interactive we would recommend to use Astro. So like that's, I think actually, I, I, I kind of fleshed this all out one day in a, in a tweet thread that, that spread pretty far of just, there seems to be the spectrum between content-based and interactive-based or, or maybe content and like stat and state, like where you're interacting with things versus just consuming them. And, and e-commerce kind of sits in the middle. Like it's about getting that thing loaded as quickly as possible. But then the ultimate goal of e-commerce is to interact, to, to pay, to, to ship it to yourself. So it really sits at the kind of crux of, of both of those things. The thing that that means for Astro is that we need to build something and, and really think about this idea of islands are all individual components, they're individual islands. But shopping cart, you mentioned, that's a, a clear example of you click the buy button and now the shopping cart updates. It goes from zero to one or one to two. You still need a way to share state and kind of pass messages from island to island. Um, and, and Ben on our team calls them boats, right? You're, you're literally sending state and sharing state across your site, even though the actual islands themselves are all isolated and running in, in isolation. This is all very possible. Um, we use this thing called nanostores is our kind of general answer to this. But again, what's really nice about like just letting Vue do its thing is Vue has a whole ecosystem of managing state and all these components, they don't have to run in isolation. They, they can use the state management that uh, a Vue app would recommend um, and push you to use. So I think it's, I'm going to forget all the names, but Pinia, I want to say, is that right? Pinya is a new state library for Vue 3, yes. Which uses the idea of like, I, I believe it is like you actually import this like atom or this signal that you're going to manage. And that's where like Svelte has a really great built-in state management that works really well with Astro because you're essentially importing your store. And it's this thing that lives at a file. Two different components will import the same store. So there's that connection there. React and Redux, like that's a really example of something that doesn't work as well with Astro because if you think of what Redux is, it's like everyone's sharing the same component provider. like. When you break everyone apart, all of a sudden they all have their own state tree. So it's not a, you know, it's not a zero. We want to get to a kind of one click way of thinking. But as of right now, you still need to manage this idea of how are my components sharing state? We give plenty of guidance there, but it's really still up to you to choose the right tool for the job. So yes, you have nano, the nano storage library is what you mentioned in your documentation yep. on sharing state. And I'm, my guess is that's supposed to be framework agnostic, right? You can plug it in with whatever framework. Yeah, which using. is really cool because then a view component and a Svelte component can share state on the same page. Like one update happens in view and it's going to trigger the Svelte component to update as well. So that framework agnosticism, if you need it, is, is obviously very cool in Astro. But you could use Vuex, for instance, or Pinio, if yep. you're using Vue, you can plug that in as well. So let's, I, I'm always into the details and the nitty gritty. So I, one thing I'm still trying to comprehend is how, what in an e-commerce site, for instance, what is static? What is dynamic? For instance, your, your, I'm going to guess your product pages 
are static for the most part, you know, because you're not really changing your products on a regular basis, at least most people. <laughs> you know, the classic Wolf Moon t-shirt is probably not going to change much over sure, sure. over time. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's it's really up to you. I mean, so thinking about, yeah, let's, let's just picture like a product. It's got the photo of the thing you're buying, the information about it. If it's a t-shirt, let's have like a little size picker and then obviously the buy button. You think of it less about like, is this information changing often and much more like, is the user meant to interact with it? So the photo is a really good example. It's just a single photo, like put an image tag on there and move on. Like that'll just be all you need. But if you want that, okay, when I click it, I want it to zoom. Or if I click it, I want it to flip to the next photo in a set of three. That would be all of a sudden interactive. So it's less about the data changing and much more about the interactivity needs on the browser. As soon as I click and something happens. That's a really good signal that you want to use one of these islands. One of it's when you would want to bring view into the picture. But if it's just a single image, use the image tag or um, the title, the description. That's just text, right? You don't need to ship a JavaScript component to render text, which was already rendered on the server. Finishing it up, you know, the the, the size picker. That's obviously going to be interactive. I switch which size I want. That would be an interactive component. And the buy button is usually going to trigger something to happen. So even that's a little interactivity, right? When I click this button, I want to update my shopping cart. That would be a good, a good, good use case for a view component. So it really depends more on what is the user expected to do with this part of the page. And if it's interact, then you should be using view. If it's just read it or consume it, or maybe it's a layout kind of component, it's the thing that's giving you your kind of two column layout. That's just presentation. There's no interactivity there. So you don't need to worry about that. Cool. Cool, for sure. Now, you mentioned images, and I thought I'd share a little interesting story here. So there's an images component. Is it still beta? I can't remember the status of it. It's Yeah, we, we're still kind of experimental, although we're pretty much working full-time on that. I'm getting it up to kind of V1 level to match the rest of the project. So, um, I'd say use it your own risk for at least the next week or two, but really the final bugs are being squashed this week. So, yeah, I had uh, not too long ago, uh, about a month ago, actually, I had an issue with the images where I was trying to do it, and it was throwing some uh, node errors when I was trying to import it. And actually, you answered this. <laughs> you were the one responding <laughs> nice. to me. You and nice. uh, Nate Moore. And yeah, short version, I filed the issue. And like two days later, there was a new version of Astro Roll that had that had a fix. Yeah, that's, that's V1 release energy. That's just, you know, as issues come in, you're, you're squashing them left and right. The funny story with the image component is that Tony um, on our team, Tony Sullivan, built the image component and then was out the week that we did our V1 launch, just vacation <laughs> totally. So we didn't realize he was like, yeah, like, you know, it's still experimental. We're like, all right, cool. Like we're writing the blog post. We're putting it in, like use the image component. Completely misunderstood that like, no, no, this is experimental. And so we ended up launching, I'd say maybe a bit more confidently than we should have with that. Um, Tony's just been working pretty much nonstop to get that up to, up to speed. But that was more us getting a little bit uh, ahead of the ball there with that component. I don't know. I was impressed with how quick the turnaround was. So uh, yeah, uh, well, it's an important images. You know, it's it's one of those things where JavaScript is this really expensive resource to send to the user per byte. It not only does it have to be downloaded, it has to be parsed, understood, executed. But after that, I'd say images obviously are a huge place for performance improvements, and that's at the end of the day kind of why we exist as a framework is to make these sites faster by default. So we were super excited to get that image component out with our V1, even if we're still cleaning it up a bit for the next week or two. Right. So now uh, I can assume going forward that anytime people file an issue will be resolved in the next day with the new release. Is that? Yes, yes. that's super healthy <laughs> for us as maintainers <laughs> to set that expectation. Uh, for sure. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, there's this V1 kind of expectation that users have, which is very, very much what we're trying to honor. It's it's why we did a V1, you know, Re- React famously, we did like 0.14 and then V15. They're just like, you know what? Versions don't matter. Um, we very intentionally wanted to say, this is our V1. It's us, stability, bugs. These are things that we're going to value and and prioritize now. We, now that we're past our V0 infancy, we know what Astro is. We want to kind of, we want it to be stable. And that's our our biggest uh, thing we're working, looking at plus V1. So now there are many of you that are unlike me that are very big TypeScript aficionados. I still haven't dipped my toe into that well yet. I probably should at some point, but you will be happy to know that According to the docs, Astro ships with built-in support for TypeScript. You can import TS and TSX files in your Astro project, write it directly within your Astro component, and even use an Astro config TS file if you like. So it's all there for you out of the box. Yeah, I mean, that we should maybe even be a bit more explicit. Like we, Astro has TypeScript built in 
for every user. It's it's essentially built into Astro in that server language up at the top. So if you've never used TypeScript before and you've built Astro, surprise, you've used TypeScript before. Um, <laughs> it's kind of just built in and bundled with Astro. The way that we present it is basically saying, listen, if you don't care about TypeScript, our default TypeScript config is going to be really relaxed. Like you really should never see an error unless you're doing something really wrong, in which case we're trying to help you. But you never have to write a line of TS config like a line of TypeScript actual types or interfaces or anything unless you want to. But it's there if you need it. So we're going to still give you all the great kind of benefits of TypeScript, code hints in your editor, errors when you do something really wrong. But ultimately, it's kind of meant to be this like kind of hidden like Trojan horse. Like you're using TypeScript. If you don't want to, that's okay. You never really have to think about it. It's just there to help you out. You never actually have to author it yourself. Okay, now let's come back to something you mentioned at the very beginning, how we mentioned that it was initially a static site generator, but now we have SSR, server-side rendering capability. So that's, I mean, basically you're you're now up to what a next, next, whatever can do, right? Instead of it doesn't have to be static, you can also be dynamic. So explain how that works, first of all, what it is and, and how that works. And then I got some follow-up questions. Yeah, I mean, it works a lot like how it does in, in any other framework. So we, again, we're trying to be really kind of matching your expectations coming into Astro coming from a next. But the biggest thing that I'd say is that our language is designed the Astro component, it all renders, you know, in an SSG, in a static site world, it's it's running at build time. So when you build your site, it's going to go and make that fetch call or, or make that database call. In SSR, it just kind of moves that logic into the server. Wherever you're deploying your site, that database call is now going to happen on request. So there were some interesting challenges as we built that, which were really about, you know, you can't assume you know the output of the page when you're building the site. It, it could get rendered totally differently in the server based on what comes out of that database call. You know, success versus error. You know, we need to be able to build to make sure that everything is bundled appropriately, even not knowing what the actual page output looks like yet. So that was a big technical challenge coming from a static site builder. But the thing I love about Astro the most is that we don't, we flip the, the script a little bit instead of defaulting to the complexity of SSR and having that a static site as this kind of like secondary flow. Defaulting the static, like our astro.build website is still a static site by default. It's We haven't hit the scale where we need to take on the responsibility of a server. We haven't hit the use case yet where we need that server data to be rendered. So for even a, a project as big as ours, we still don't have the need yet for SSR. So we don't take that on. Totally opt-in versus being opt-out. Okay, so as I'm reading your docs, it sounds like it's all or nothing. So Astro, according to the features heading on your SSR page, Astro will remain a static site generator by default. but once you enable a server-side rendering adapter, every route in your pages directory becomes a server-side rendered route. That was all in bold. And a few new <laughs> features become available to you. So my question is this. What if you want some of your pages to be static and others only server rendered? Is there a way to do that? Or is it, sorry, one extreme or the other? Yeah, the, the bold text gives away that we, we get asked this question a lot. <laughs> it's probably been actually one of our more requested features coming out of E1. Right now, the answer is all or nothing. You're going from static to server rendered. And it's it's a it's a big change. We see a ton of users wanting that idea of being server rendered on some pages and static on others. And, and there's nothing stopping us from doing that. It was just a feature we didn't prioritize for V1. We're engineers, we're building this thing, we kind of see the benefits of SSR. And for us, you're shipping a server either way, right? The second you opt into one page as SSR, you need to think like a server. But that's not a feature that we can't support. It's just one that we didn't prioritize. So I think yeah, I would expect to see more information about that. It's it's probably the most requested feature we've seen coming out of our V1 launch. So then it automate anything in the front matter, or excuse me, that's not, what do you call that that top section? Do you have a name for yeah, it? Yeah, front matter script is what we call front it. Front matter script, okay. So anything in front matter is not run until that particular route is called? Yeah, exactly. In SSR world, that's going to basically run. So you mentioned reading that, like some new features are unlocked. You get access to the response object in that front matter. It's going to change based on what the user is actually doing. Query params, you know, the question mark Q equals anything in the URL. That wouldn't be available to a static site, but it would be available to something running in the server. It's going to hit all the different routes a user might send it. So that's that's where we see that kind of the new features that are unlocked. And again, why we think it, well, we all love the idea of having some sites be statically rendered. You can still achieve that pretty one-to-one by just having really good content headers and using a CDN, which we would recommend everyone do anyway. So if you're in a world where you're shipping a, a site from SSR, or you're, you know, you're making the switch from a static site to an SSR server rendered site, by just returning the right content headers saying, this thing I've rendered and it's never going to change, we'll basically tell your CDN, whatever's sitting in front of your site, hey, like, I just responded once for this. You just go do the work of responding to every request for this thing I've just given you. So in a perfect world, that SSR site, even if we don't give you the tool to statically render it at build time, you're still going to be able to tell your CDN, hey, I'm building this once and you take care of it. I never want to build this again. 
ship it to the user as quickly as possible next time from the CDN. Okay. So now you have adapters built in for probably your more commonly used hosts, right? Cloudflare, Dino, Netlify, Node.js for sale. So this is a Node.js runtime, I'm assuming that's running behind the scenes. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. That's correct. So I'm, I'm thinking through the possibilities for this site. So this, I guess you would want a site like this could be a combination of things, right? Maybe an e-commerce site where your product data does change on a regular basis and still have that interactivity that we talked about with the islands, or maybe even just a brochure site that is going to have somewhat frequent changes, right? You don't want to have to rebuild the entire site every time you change something. Yeah, we see it as an answer to scale ultimately, or if there's a use case that needs live access to data a week after you've deployed the site. If you're building an e-commerce site with thousands of products, Rebuilding the site every time your stock changes is going to be a real pain. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we see SSR really coming in. We want it to feel, the idea is it's drop-in. Your site doesn't really have to change. Your code doesn't really have to change. But the idea is you can flip on that switch to SSR as soon as you need it. That's what I'd say is the most kind of, that's what we look for when we look for users who are looking to make the switch to SSR is, are they hitting that, that scale problem or that stale data problem? If either one of those is true, yeah, rebuilding your whole site um, as an e-commerce site with thousands of products, that's a real tough, a real tough sell to anyone. Well, that brings up another slight rabbit trail, and that is the holy grail of Jamstack sites, which is incremental rebuild, right? Yeah. What that means is, as you mentioned, you know, let's say your site has 100 pages, you know, 100 routes or however you define it, and you change content for one page. Well, as the way it stands now, you'd have to rebuild all 100. And where incremental yeah. rebuild is the idea that you could just rebuild that one and, and that gen that, excuse me, send that newly generated HTML to wherever you're hosting it to your server. Now, I know if I remember correctly, Gatsby can do this in Gatsby Cloud. I don't know if it's anywhere else. And I know that's, you know, this has been a, a holy grail for a long time. Is that something you guys even looked at or considered? Is that way down the road or is that just out of the ballpark for, for what Astro would want to be able to do? For right now, our answer to that user would be use SSR, have a server actually running, generating those pages on requests, and just have good cache headers to you know invalidate that request every so often so that the data doesn't get stale. I love that idea of a feature of just like essentially your site is always up to date in like this cache that's been generated incrementally every time your stock changes to use the e-commerce example some more. But right now we just don't support that. Um, we've gotten some inbound interest from e-commerce, like some pretty big e-commerce um, companies. So there might be something there that they either push us to build or even build for us. We would definitely be open to that. But as of right now, that's, yeah, there's a reason only Gatsby has really done that. And they've only done it with their paid right. proprietary cloud system. It's it's a really tough thing to do. And SSR does get you a lot of the way there. Right. All right. I can't think of anything other questions I have. Is there anything about Astro you want to share with us before we move on to picks? Just that we love Vue and using Vue with Astro is a great way to build a content site. So I, I don't know if you'll give me a chance to plug. I got all the all the links to send people to if they want to learn more. Yeah, well, we can uh, put all those in the show notes. Cool. For- Astro.build is a website then. I'll just say that. Astro.build. Um, and Astro.build slash chat is our Discord server. Um, it's a big one. It's one we really care about a lot. So come say hi. Yep. I'm in there quite a bit Those myself. My, yeah, it's a fun time. We play mini golf. We like have a, we have a great time. Oh, really? I miss mini golf. Um, yeah, we we don't do it very frequently, but every once in a while we'll just be like, hey, if you could join in an hour, we're all going to play some mini golf. How do you play yeah, mini golf on Discord? So a week ago, I would have told you you have to go download a game on Steam. Uh-huh. Apparently, some Discord servers now have a built-in mini golf that Discord has shipped. Really? I I have the the lit HTML. If anyone knows that project. Yes. Um, they they have a cool new Discord server and they seem to have gotten invited to all the cool stuff that we don't get. So I guess I'm plugging in other projects Discord server. But if you go there, there's like a button to start mini golf, which seems to be built into Discord. Excellent. I like that. Yeah, I like that. I know, I'm very jealous. Cool. Yeah, we will put uh, Astro links in the show notes so that you can uh, click to them to your heart's content and we don't have to read them to you on the air, so to speak, in a podcast. But uh, excellent. Well, thank you for coming on. This has been a long conversation, but very good. Uh, Something I appreciate as an Astro user myself. So thank you for that. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. So with that, we'll move on to picks. Picks are the part of the show where we can talk about other things other than Astro and Vue and tech and programming and so on. So I will start out. I do have a legit pick before I get, well, not that dad jokes aren't legitimate, 
but a, a non-dad joke pick, let's put it that way, before, we, uh, before I get to those. So I have switched microphones. I'm hoping the audio sounds better than what I've had before. For a couple of years, I've been using the Blue Yeti, and I've had issues with that, with lack of configurability, and, and it doesn't do sound very good in my big, huge, bright office with 12-foot ceilings and without a ton of soundproofing. So I had been looking at the Shure SM7B uh, microphone, which is sort of the top of the line, really well-known audio microphone professionally used. The issue with that is that it uses an XLR config, which requires some other hardware and inputs and so on that I really didn't want cluttering up my desk, considering I have no more space on my desk to clutter up, really. And so by listening to somebody else on another podcast, I looked at the Shure MV7, which is awesome. It's cost about a couple hundred dollars less than the SM7B, but it has both USB and XLR connection types. And uh, But what, some of the things that are really nice about it are the configuration options. It has a, an app. I'm on a Mac, so there's a Mac app that allows you to make all kinds of settings as to how far away and close up you can be from the mic, the tone, you can have natural or dark or bright. You can determine how much feedback you get in your headphones, you know, versus something you're playing back as if in your as if you're overdubbing something, for instance. And then that does it a lot of auto. And then you can even get really nitty gritty with the manual settings like your mic gain, your monitor mix, your EQE settings, compressor and so on. And then also it has a little plug-in where I can plug in my headphones into it and hear what I sound like through the mic. But with the Yeti, that didn't work. And I would have to do stuff like open up GarageBand and make a recording in there and play with the settings to see how I sounded. But here I can get direct feedback. So hopefully I sound a little better now going forward. But uh, this really was a, for me, it was a real happy medium between the sure, the more spendy SM7B and all the other few hundred dollars of equipment you would need with it versus the lower end Blue Yeti. And with that, we'll move nice. on to the dad jokes, my dad jokes uh, that I share every day with my world on various uh, social media. And people love it. I just, my fame has just increased worldwide. It's amazing just from sharing dad jokes, to be honest. No, but seriously. So, anyway, I am a big blood donor. You know, with the Red Cross, they, the vampires of the Red Cross hound me mercilessly because I'm O negative and that's uh, rare blood that is very in demand. But uh, anyway, the other day I went to donate blood, but I got in trouble because apparently it's supposed to be your blood. Not There's a sound effect? You didn't tell me there'd be a sound effect? I got all kinds of sound effects. Well done. Well, you know, unfortunately, I meant to do this ahead of time, and sometimes I do it and I forgot. But I also forgot to uh, introduce the studio audience that's been there. Oh, hi, sorry. I didn't mean to ignore you. Uh, I really didn't mean to ignore the studio audience, but they've been there all along. And sometimes they'll laugh when they like my jokes. <laughs> but I saved that for only the really good ones. <laughs> the really good ones. Which is all of them, although my... Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I still have friends ask me when I'm going to start telling good ones. So, you know, my dad was a big financial planner and advisor for a long time. And, and you know, he had talked... And one of the books I've heard talked about frequently by people in that area is it's called like the, the Millionaire Mind. I think there's a guy that wrote The Millionaire Mind. And there's another follow-up to that. Talks just about how people who how are successful, how they think. And, and so, you know, after reading that book, I went and I talked to seven different billionaires. And I said, what's the secret to your success? And they all said the same thing to me. How did you get into my mansion? So the audience didn't laugh. Does that mean that wasn't a good oh, one? Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there it is. Sometimes I have them muted and I have to remember to unmute. <laughs> of course, they're laughing consistently the entire show. They're laughing with me, not at me. And then finally, the other day on a more personal note, I bought some, uh, I was at the store and I thought, actually, you take that back. Not the other day, considering I haven't had hair for many years. Uh, one time I bought some, I was looking for some shampoo and I bought some coconut shampoo. But then when I got home, I realized I don't even have a coconut. Thank you. Thank you. Those are my my dad jokes of the week. Oh, before I forget, I really, truly write all my own jokes, really. But there's this great Instagram page and it's another dad joker and it's called 789 Dad Jokes. And but it's a guy, it's a dad. And he's so funny. He's always taking video selfies of himself as he tells the jokes. And a lot of time his kids are there groaning, you know, and within the past couple of days, he started adding rim shots to his jokes afterwards. And I was like, yes, that's so good. And I even commented, said, hey, I love the rim shots. <laughs> so uh, seven, eight, nine dad jokes on Instagram. It's uh, it's really great. So with that, Fred, it's your turn. What do you have for us for picks? 
Oh, we were talking about before the show started. I, I don't really have any like hobbies. I, I am a, a new parent and, and build an Astro. Those are my two things. So my picks are very much fallen in one of those camps. But, um, just a plug for, uh, Spelt Summit is coming up tomorrow, I believe. I, I don't know when this is going out, but September 8th and 9th is this great Spelt Summit conference happening in Stockholm this year. And I believe I have no insider information to back this up, but I believe they're getting ready to announce Spelt Kit. 1.0 release candidate. And if anyone's been following Rich Harris and the Svelte team, they've been literally every day is another change, another change, another change. Some of them breaking, some of them are just really cool to see. So they're clearly moving quick to get to that date. I'm super excited to see what they launch. Looks very great. And um, yeah, always a team that we like to support, similar to the View team. Everything that the cool that they launch, we get to take advantage of. So it's a win-win for us. Very excited to see what they announce um, tomorrow, September 8th. Speaking of that, that reminds me of another pick. There's also, from a view standpoint, it's not necessarily view. There's VietComp com- coming up, and I'm scrolling. I'm going to be there. I'm scrolling through the list, and look, there's Fred K. Shot from the Astro. I'm going to be there. Nate's going to be there. Yeah. So we're going to have a, a summit to to go over your issue together when we're there. Um, your image oh. <laughs> uh, issue. Yeah, there's a number of people there be at VietComp that we have had here on the podcast, and that I know, like Eric Simons from Stack Blitz. Uh, we got Debbie O'Brien will be there. There's a ton of speakers. Anishko Hevery that we've had on JavaScript Jabber. Daniel Rowe from the Next Core team. And yeah, just a whole ton of Guillaume Chow uh, is going to be there speaking. So yeah, I watched a video with Nate. There's a, are you aware of the, the YouTube video that, and I forget the name of the podcast that he's on there building an Astro site with Prismic? Uh, yes. I, it might have been Ben. I can't remember if it was Ben or Nate, but yeah, Prismic is a, a very cool project. Oh, no, it's definitely with Nate. I recognize Nate okay. from the... Uh, he's He's got a great haircut like me with a big red beard and, <laughs> and glasses too, things I don't have. But yeah, that's how I learned a lot about... Uh, that's what I used as my template for building my view site, my Astro site, excuse me, with Prismic. So I'll find that video uh, and put it in the in the show notes. It's really... It's like a two-hour thing where they just go along and build it as they go. Uh, but VCOMP... Now, when is VCOMP? I cannot remember the dates. VietConf, as I stall while I look it up, because I should know this off the top of my head, October 11th and 12th. Right. VietConf.org is the website for that. Yeah. I'm going to be there. A uh, bunch of uh, Astro maintainers are going to be there. So very excited. That's gonna, That's like, that is a brain trust of cool projects that are going to, thank God, I think it's all remote. So no one, there's no bus factor to worry about in case anything happens. <laughs> um, it's a really cool speaker lineup. I'm super excited about it. Yeah, that looks, I mean, the looking at that list of speakers, it's pretty amazing. A lot of the heavy hitters and various communities for sure. All righty. So with that, we will wrap it all up. Thank you so much for coming on, Fred. I've heard you on other podcasts and said, I got to talk to that guy. So uh, oh, thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Yes, it's been a lot of fun to get into the nitty gritty, as we say. So with that, we'll wrap it up. Thank you all for listening to Views on View, and we will talk at you next time. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.